Hello everyone, this is Tyler Feinstein on Season 1, Episode 6 of Talking with Tyler. And today we have a very unique topic. Today we delve into the world of high school football. And today we are going to talk about the most dominant, just earth-shattering, like, craziest high school football dynasty you've probably never even heard of. This puts modern-day St. John Bosco, De La Salle, Westlake, um, what other dominant schools? IMG Academy. It puts all of those schools to shame by comparison in just the sheer dominance that this team has. And what team am I exactly talking about, you might say? Well, I proudly introduce you from Royal City, Washington, the Royal Knights. Now, the Royal Knights aren't dominant in the normal high school way. Most high school football teams usually have a big budget or a private school, have an excellent recruiting area, just like the ones I mentioned, or somewhere in between all of those, or at least a few of those categories, and also elite coaching. Royal, outside of the elite coaching, doesn't have any of these. They're located in Royal City, Washington, which has a population of 2,384 people. For comparison, my high school, Valencia High School, has 2,484 enrolled. So there's not much of a talent pool for Royal to work with, as you may say, oh, well, maybe they're close to one of the big cities, Seattle, Spokane, or Tacoma. Actually, no, they aren't even close to any of those. They are 154 miles from Seattle, and 133 miles from Spokane, and 167 miles from Tacoma. They aren't near any of these schools, which usually are probably where most of the elite Washington high school football athletes. I'm not saying there isn't many in Royal City, but there's not many. But this team, under current head coach Wiley Alred, who has been the catalyst for just a monstrous dynastic run has is has been ridiculous over over his time at royal he has been the head coach since 1999 they have won titles in 2000 2004 2005 2007 2015 2016 2017 2019 and 2021 but what i mainly want to focus on is the stretch from 2015 to 2021 this stretch of Royal football is so crazy that I don't even think this is like video game type shit. Probably even ascends that. Ever since 2015, they are 86 and 1. 86 and 1. I mean, if that doesn't scream dominance to you, I don't know what does. And they're also 35 and 0 in their league. Which, it's kind of random how many games they played. Some of them, they played as many as three, and some as as high as seven. So, it's very tic-tac-y in that way. Their only loss in that stretch was to the Colville Crimson Hawks, who were riding a, at the time, a nine-game win streak, and lost that game 31-28. to Now, the 28 points um, was the lowest they had all year, and the 31 points was actually half the points they allowed the entire season of that year, and that was their worst year of this stretch. Their points for 
in this crazy stretch is 4,451 over the course of six years, which is a lot. That equip that is equivalent to 51 points a game. That is seven touchdowns and a safety equivalent. That is absolutely insane for a team that, again, doesn't have like the biggest recruiting area of football talent to begin with. Uh, even scarier than that offensive number, as cataclysmic as that offense is, it's not even their best strength. I know that's scary, but it's the truth. The points allowed per game in this span um, was 467 points. That equivalent is to 5.3 points per game. That's a field goal and a safety for y'all. So their average margin of victory is nearly 46 points a game. Now, you might well say, oh, well, they don't play as good a talent as Modern Day, IMG Academy, Westlake. And okay, that's true. But they're not getting as much talent as these guys are. Or they're getting way more. My bad. They're getting way less talent than these guys are. And they're still killing these teams. Still killing every single opponent in this stretch except for one, which is absolutely insane. Um, yeah, Willie Wiley Alred has a ridiculous record, 262 wins and 27 losses over 23 years as the Knights head coach. That is ridiculous. And another thing I wanted that was also very interesting was the enrollment of the school. The most recent I could find on the school enrollment is that they had 506 kids. So... I went to Max Preps to see how many players were on the roster last year. There was there was 86, which that means I did that. That is 17%. A whopping 17% of students that go to Royal High School go there to play football, which to me is absolutely insane. That shows how dedicated they are to the football program. They're a football school through and through. And, damn, Wiley Alred definitely knows how to get the most out of his players. And he also gets a large-ass quantity of players. For comparison, as I said earlier, Valencia High School has 2,484 students. That equates to almost 2.9%, so we'll round it up to 3% of Valencia students play football. That is a ridiculous margin. Compare that 3% to 17% for them. That is absolutely nuts. Like, I mean, I don't know how much of a football school you can get. Um, like, and it's not like they were they were trashing on a bunch of horrible teams. Last year, if we go to their schedule, they went 14-0 as they haven't lost a game since the 2018-19 season. They scored a ridiculous 741 points which I think is around like 52, 53 points a game, which is stupid, and allowed 47. And I want to say they had nine shutouts, nine, in one season. Do you know how absurd that is? Nine of your 14 games, that's... Basically, two-thirds of your games were shutouts. And in the other games, they allowed three 
12, 6, 6, 6, 14, and 14. That is absolutely 100%. That's like, I don't even know how to put that in words. Like, this team is like, it's crazy how good this team is. I don't think I've ever seen a team as dominant. And what's crazy is no one talks about them. You know, Royal City, they're more in the southern area of Washington. Not a very well-known part of Washington. Not compared to, like I said, Spokane, Seattle, and Tacoma. Those are the three most well-known cities in the state of Washington. And the fact they're doing this with, like, again, not the best athletes, um against other teams who some of these teams are stolid top finish was 11 and 0 before playing royal and they got their ass whooped 59 to 6 they played kings another really good team from the seattle area by the way and they smacked them upside the head 35 to 14 and they only had one loss prior to this game and then finally, we get to their championship game, Edenville, who I think was actually even favored over Royal. They were actually ahead of Royal before the championship game in the rankings. They absolutely shut them down and ate them alive, 41-0. to zero. That is ridiculous. And if we go to their other runs, let's go to... 2020, actually, no, not 2020. That's a bad example because they only played five games that year because COVID decided to ruin everything. So let's go to 2019-20. That's a more fair analysis. They had 754 points scored for and only 68 against, which is, again, amazing for any high school team. But this team does it like it's a freaking, it's like their freaking job. It's a, and it's an easy job for them. It's absolutely absurd. The only challenging game they had was a five-point win over Ellensburg. But the rest, again, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven shutouts in 14 games. That means half the games they allowed nada. That is absolutely insane. And if we go to the playoff games, like, they killed them. Like, they absolutely slaughter. They even slaughter playoff teams. They beat a one-loss Charles Wright team who, yeah, was 9-1 and one before this game, which is absolutely stupid that you smack that team upside the head, 64-7. to seven. Absolutely nuts. Then they, they go to OMAC. They're undefeated before playing Royal. They had outscored their opponents 356 to 127, which is an extremely good points for points against ratio. An excellent points for points against ratio. They get absolutely wiped off the face of the goddamn planet, 62 to 6, stood no chance against the Knights, absolutely got fucking obliterated. Um... And then finally, this is actually a rival within their league, Connell. Um, 10 and 3 before this game, so very solid. And they and they outscored their opponents 337 to 133, which is still a very good ratio, by the way. Still a very positive ratio. They get blanked 
42-0. And then finally, they actually, this wasn't a blowout against a really good Linden Christian team who was 11-1 at the time. And actually, they only scored 26 points in that game, but they still won and still won the championship. That was probably one of their toughest games of this entire stretch. And then I'll look at one more year to show you, 2017-18, 72 against. Again, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight shutouts in 14 games. That is absolutely insane. And the only time they even had a sliver of trouble in the playoffs was against a very good Meridian team who, at that point, the Trojans were also undefeated and had an excellent points for and points against a 536 to 299 for the season. That is absolutely insane that even before that, they're just killing these teams, playoff or not, absolutely ridiculously insane. I, I don't even know what more I can say. Um, I guess I can talk about Wiley Alred. He is now currently 62 years old, holds a 90.6% win percentage. As I said, he's been with the team since 1999, and he's been responsible for nine of the team's 10 state titles. The only one he didn't win was beforehand when before he even got there in 1996. So this team was already really solid. It's not like he took over a bunch of piece of trash garbage and had to clean up a gigantic mess. No, this team was already set up for him. And once he got control and kept rolling, the snowball never stopped. The snowball just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Became basically a snow boulder absolutely smashing every team in its path like guys I can't believe that not many people know about this team I get it they're from a small town I I get it that you know Washington isn't like you know the biggest on media when it comes to high school football but the fact of the matter is this team is doing so much and dominating teams to such a ridiculous extent like, honestly, this could, should be considered illegal. Like, this is, like, galaxy level in terms of fucking blowouts, shutouts. And they do it like it's their job, and it's an easy job at that. Like, like I know people say that about other teams like Modern Day, St. John Bosco, IMG Academy, and so forth. But this team does it, like, even worse if... Modern Day and St. John Bosco and IMG are blowing out their teams by 30. These guys are blowing them out by 45, sometimes even in the damn 60s, which is absolutely, <laughs> it's mind-boggling. This is like, this is like, like something you'd see in a damn cartoon. This is like, like a fucking cartoon football team brought to life. Like, I don't know what more I can say. Like, absolutely like unbelievably absurd how amazing this team is and I just wanted to shed some light on this amazing ass football team this team has been probably the most dominant team since 2015 and one of the most dominant teams in high school football since 1996 I mean name me a bunch of more teams that have 10 or more titles 
I mean, I can't even think of any right off the bat. I don't even know if Modern Day has. I don't know if St. John Bosco has. I don't know if IMG Academy has. The only one I, that I think may is um, Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. That's the only team I can think of that can even compare to the level of dominance of this team. And even then, Bishop Gorman still, like, they still have an occasional loss or an occasional close game. These guys almost never have an occasional close game. Most of the games are over by the time the first quarter has concluded. They're probably up 21-0, 24-0, maybe even 28-0. Like, this is absolutely absurd. Like, I know I keep reiterating myself, and I'm probably a broken record at this point. But the fact of the matter is of how much um, the student enrollment commits to this team and how dominant they are year in and year out. They're currently riding a 33-game win streak, and they had a 53-game win streak before that loss again to Colville. So this team really could have been on a... 97 game win streak they were that close they were literally basically um a field goal away from having a 97 game win streak which absolutely blows my mind it blows my mind that they even have a 53 game win streak and a 33 game win streak most teams are even happy if they have like a season of being undefeated but these guys make having an undefeated season look as easy as fucking cutting pizza with a fucking pizza slicer. Sorry if I have a little bit of a potty mouth. But, again, I just wanted to shine some light on this team, how dominant they are. If you're a Royal fan or know anything about Royal, then kudos to you. If you're Wiley Alred or any of the Royal Knights football players, current or ex-football players then you already know how dominant this team is. You already know how ridiculously overpowering this team is and how um, just how like disgustingly dominant this team has been over the past six seasons. It's absolutely disgusting what they've done on an arguably apocalyptical level when it comes to football. And I'm definitely going to be covering more teams like this in the future. I think it's a very interesting topic to shed light on these very small schools that don't have much enrollment that just keep killing it and killing it and killing it no matter what they have to go through. And if you have any team to suggest, um, definitely hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. I am known as Green Bay Hornet on both, also known as Tyler Feinstein also on Instagram. So hit me up. Um, hit me up if you have any. I will gladly appreciate it. I'll give you a shout out as well. And I'm very excited to start this little series on this podcast. But with that being said, that's all I have for you guys today. Um, again, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, Green Bay Hornet on both slash Tyler Feinstein on Twitter. Um I mean, congratulations, Royal Football. Keep on kicking ass. I'm out. Peace. Hello, everyone. This is Tyler Feinstein on Season 1, Episode 7 on Talk with Tyler. And today we'll be, we will be going over um, ranking the NFL starting quarterbacks all the way from down to 32 to number 1. Um, mainly what I think for this season, past seasons will have somewhat of an input. 
and that's really all the ground rules and um, also what the team gained and what they lost this offseason could also affect their ranking. Um, all the way down at number 32, we have Sam Darnold of the Carolina Panthers. Sam Darnold was traded from New York to Carolina as he did not pan out with the Jets and was traded for a 2022 second round pick, 2022 fourth round pick, and a 2021 sixth round pick. Um, however, the gamble did not pan out for Carolina as he was absolutely awful this year after the th first three games. They started out 3-0 and and then they absolutely took a downward spiral into the depths of NFL hell and finished 2-12 and to end the season and overall a 5-12 and record. And again, I don't see him improving any really much, if at all, this year. Honestly, I think Darnold might be unfixable at this point. Which is sad because, I mean, remember, this is a guy that was the third overall pick coming out of USC, had a lot of hype with the Jets. And his first two years weren't horrible, but then his third year with the Jets and last year have been absolutely atrocious. And it seems no matter what scenario he's put in, he has not produced results like a third overall pick should. Um, albeit the offensive line has been horrible. But the skill position players are strong. Let's exclude Christian McCaffrey because he was hurt for most of this year again. But DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and even Terrace Marshall are a pretty decent set of weapons to have. And I feel bad, especially for this defense. This defense had to do everything for this team last year, and it simply couldn't hold up just because of how inept the offense was. So, honestly, as long as Sam Darnold is the Panthers' quarterback, he's most likely going to continue to hold the offense and the team back from reaching um, anywhere even close to the playoffs. I simply, they're probably going to be around the same as they were last year. And I simply, I think Sam Darnold, after this year, his time as an NFL starter is done. Um, next up, just above Sam Darnold, we have Geno Smith of the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, I do have Geno Smith winning the quarterback battle over Drew Locke, and I'll tell you why. Because in the limited games Geno Smith played, he wasn't awful. Now, I'm not saying he was good, great, but he was okay. And I think he'll get the nod just because he knows the Seahawks system. He's been there for a little bit. So I think Geno Smith will end up winning the starting job. However, he's still one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I remember when he was the Jets' starting quarterback because at that point his career is terrible. He seems to be better since then, but it's still not nearly enough to keep him out from our bottom two. Um, slightly above Geno Smith, we have Jacoby Brissett of the Browns. I do not believe Deshaun Watson is playing this year. Hell, he might not even play next year. So for now, Jacoby Brissett, Brissett is the team's starter. And he's a little better than Smith, has a better touchdown-interception ratio than Smith, but he's nothing more than a game manager. And I just simply don't see how the Browns are going to succeed under his watch. I mean, not saying he's going to be absolutely terrible, I mean, I'm sure the Browns could maybe get like six or seven wins, but that's all I end up seeing because Baker Mayfield said he was never going to play for this franchise again. And I do stick by that. He will not play, and hell, I don't even know where the hell he's going to play this year. 
But yeah, Jacoby Brissett, barely a little better than our previous two, but overall not who you want to have as your starting quarterback. At 29, we have Daniel Jones of the Giants. It's been it's been a struggle for Jones. He was drafted sixth overall in 2019. Everyone, almost every single Giants fan hated the pick. You can look on YouTube. There's some very funny videos to watch. I definitely recommend Bad Dog Sports, Daniel Jones' reaction. That one is one of my all-time favorites. Absolutely hilarious. But anyway, we're getting a little off topic here. Um, Daniel Jones, 12-25 and 25 as a starter. And... He had, like, a good, like, you know, like, he had a pretty solid first year, but since then, he's been hurt and hasn't played as well. Um, the, I just don't think Daniel Jones has the upside and traits to be your franchise quarterback. Like, he'd be a really good backup, but honestly, in my opinion right now, he's a backup playing starter. Um, this is going to be his last year to prove himself. The Giants actually did do better in terms of helping him in this offseason. They, they got um, Evan Neal to help alongside Andrew Thomas, which could be an elite tackle unit for the foreseeable future. Um, they've, they've upgraded, and they even have a good... Or, well, no, I shouldn't say good, but an intriguing receiving core. Kenny Galladay... He had a horrible year last year. And he didn't even have a single touchdown last year, and they paid him $18 million a year. But he should be better than he was last year. I think last year was rock bottom for Kenny. Then you have Kadarius Toney, who was also a first-round pick last year, 20th out of Florida. You drafted Wondell Robinson in the second round this year. Sterling Shepard is a pretty decent slot receiver, and Darius Slayton's a pretty... Okay, decent receiver. So they definitely have weapons. They don't have any like superstar guys, but they have a they have a deep stable of receivers for Daniel Jones to throw to. And Saquon Barkley will hopefully be healthy for once, which I don't know if we can rely on at this point in his career. But if he doesn't show improvement under new head coach Brian Dable and all the changes the Giants made on offense, then he's out of New York and Frankly, I don't see that. Obviously, that's why I have him as the fourth worst starting quarterback. Number 28 is Marcus Mariota of the Atlanta Falcons. And Marcus Mariota is purely a bridge quarterback for me. Um, It's sad because he was drafted second overall by Tennessee. Now, he did lead Tennessee to the playoffs a few times. It wasn't like he was horrible. But clearly, the team went a different direction. They traded for Ryan Tannehill, and Tannehill elevated the offense and the Titans played way better under center with him than they did with Marcus Mariota. So they let him go. Then he was a backup on the Raiders for for two seasons, even played a game. Now he's going to be the starter on the Falcons. And I don't know if Desmond Ritter is the answer. He, I mean, there's a small chance he could be. Let's not count him out just yet. Let's not be mean. But... I, I feel he's just a bridge to either Ritter or one of the top quarterbacks in next year's draft, whether that be Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, um, maybe a shot at Will Levis, maybe Anthony Richardson if he elevates his game to that point. Um, Jaron Hall, also an option, but that's what he is. He's a bridge quarterback. He can move around a little bit, and, like, 
And the Falcons actually do have some weapons. Now, it sucked. They did lose Calvin Ridley, but they did bring back Cordell Patterson, which was good. They brought in Drake London with the eighth overall pick. And Kyle Pitts has already emerged as one of the NFL's best tight ends. So he isn't entering the worst situation out there, actually. Outside the offensive line being horrible, and it still is a mess. And that defense is definitely not going to do Mariota any favors either. But overall, I think he'll do his role just fine. But at the end of the day, he is a bridge quarterback. Um, up at number 26 was actually the quarterback drafted before... Actually, no, my bad. We're looking at the wrong one. <laughs> at number 27, we have Mitchell Trubisky of the Steelers. Again, another bridge quarterback. Um, he was actually also a second-round pick. The Yeah, it was two years after... Mariota. Um, I think he may be a bit better than Mariota just because I feel he can run a little better, a little more athletic, can extend plays. Um, um, the Steelers' offensive line definitely doesn't help, but he has some good skill position players. Najee Harris is pretty good. Deontay Johnson's really solid. Chase Claypool is solid. And Pratt Fryermuth is an emerging tight end. And he will get a lot of support from an elite Steelers defense. But, again, I think he's going to be a bridge quarterback until Kenny Pickett is comfortable enough to be a starter. So, he's basically in the same situation as Mar- situation as Mariota. He just has a way better football team around him than Marcus Mariota does. At number 26, we have the number one pick of the 2015 NFL Draft, Jameis Winston. I think Winston has a little more, I guess, upside than these guys. I do think if he can ball out this year, he could maybe... Um, entrench himself as the Saints starter for the future. And they actually do have some weapons. Now, it does suck. Alvin Kamara will be out for the first six weeks due to stupid battery. I don't know why the hell he did that. But he also has Michael Thomas returning. And remember, at one point, we were talking about Michael Thomas as the best receiver in the NFL. And I still think he's a 1,000-yard capable receiver. They drafted Chris Olave. And they even and that defense is still great. The only major difference was getting um was replacing Marcus Williams with Tyron Matthew, which Marcus Williams is really good, but Tyron Matthew is definitely an upgrade. So he's sort of in a similar situation to Trubisky. I do like his weapons a bit better than Trubisky, but how will we do um without Sean Payton calling the plays. I'm sure Saints offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael Jr. will be calling the plays with Dennis Allen under the helm as their new head coach. So we'll see with that. Definitely going to be an interesting season for Jameis Winston. At 25, I have Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears. Now, now Justin Fields, honestly, this might be the worst supporting cast in the NFL. And I do expect him to improve despite that fact. But I can't put him any higher than his contemporaries because this offensive line is so bad and the weapons are also horrible. The only legitimate weapon he has is Darnell Mooney. We'll see how Vilas Jones does. But he doesn't, I don't think he has enough. Um, The only notable weapons he has um, are. Cole Komet, who I like at tight end, and David Montgomery at running back. But we'll see. Matt Eberflus, how is he going to do? How is Luke Getze as OC? He was the former Packers passing game coordinator. 
How will he do under center? I just don't think. I think Justin Fields is in a very, uh, what would you put it, inhospitable environment in Chicago right now. I do think he improves, but I don't. But how much does he improve? And honestly, I don't think much. Um, primarily just because of how terrible the supporting cast is in the Windy City. At 24, I have Tua Tagovailoa of the Dolphins. Now, I do think his numbers will be better. With Tyreek Hill, they brought in Raheem Mostert, Cedric Wilson, Teron Armstead, and Lyle Collins. And they brought in an offensive-minded coach in Mike McDaniel. I don't know. Tua doesn't like... His numbers aren't bad. He's 13-8 and eight as a starter. Not horrible. And he has 27 career touchdowns to 15 picks. But he's also had injury issues. And... And especially... Um, commit some of the worst turnovers you'll see in the modern NFL. I just, like, obviously it hurts that they passed on Herbert, but it just wasn't that they just passed on Herbert. Brian Flores, who was the former coach, now current linebackers coach of the Steelers, wanted Herbert, so they denied the coach of who he wanted, and they brought in a guy he didn't want, which probably made Flores annoyed, and also too annoyed, because he probably didn't feel welcomed by Flores, and then it led to a power struggle and led to the Dolphins eventually canning the coach. So, and then a whole big lawsuit, but we're not going to get into that here. So, I, do I think his numbers improve? Yes, but I don't know. I don't know if he has franchise-esque material. I just, I don't see it in him right now. He's not that guy where you can see him go on like a final two or three minute drive and lead your team to victory. Excuse me. So I do think his numbers take a bit of an improvement, or he does improve his numbers, but I don't know if he... uh, He hasn't shown me enough to solidify himself as the Dolphins franchise guy. At number 23, we have a surprise from last year, Davis Mills from the Houston Texans, who actually has a shot to be the Texans franchise quarterback. And considering he was put in possibly the worst situation in the NFL, well, I guess Trevor Lawrence was because he had Urban Meyer, incompetent management, a really bad team. But Davis Mills wasn't far behind him, and he did pretty well for himself, was fairly accurate, had 11 touchdowns to five picks, and honestly, I think he actually could be the guy in Houston. Um, The reason he isn't any higher is because, um, first of all, I don't agree, agree with um, the Texans coaching hire of Lovey Smith, which I don't really think improves this team whatsoever. At that point, you might as well have just kept David Culley. But I digress. Um, I do like Pep Hamilton as offensive coordinator. He also developed Justin Herbert in his first year, and I think he could do that with Davis Mill, despite a terrible supporting cast, albeit upgraded supporting cast. They drafted Kenyon Green in the first round. Um, they drafted why am I why am I blinking here? John Mechie in the second round, and then you still have Brandon Cooks, who honestly is like low tier wide receiver one material. He's been very good almost everywhere he's went. No one ever talks about him, but he's gonna be a solid safety blanket for Mills. So I think overall. Like, it's not as bad as it was last year. I just feel, first of all, it doesn't have nearly enough to be great. 
Um, but I do actually see franchise level potential in it. Maybe this year, even next year. I actually do like Davis Mills, and I hope he improves. That would be a really good story for him. Um, at twenty two, we have Jared Goff of the Lions. Um, obviously, he was one of the big pieces in the trade package for Matthew Stafford, who went on to win a Super Bowl with the L.A. Rams. Now, Jared Goff, he had a pretty decent season, and I think he could actually improve his numbers this year. Um, remember, they brought in Jameson Williams. Amon Ross St. Brown is probably primed for a breakout year. DeAndre Swift's solid running back. And DJ Hawkinson is one of the NFL's best tight ends, along with a really good offensive line, anchored by Frank Ragnow, Taylor Decker, and Panay Sewell. And a coach in Dan Campbell who seems to get the the most spirit out of his players. So I actually think Jared Goff could be in for a pretty solid season, and I think he actually has a chance to, a small chance, but a chance to be the Lions' future franchise quarterback. I mean, remember, he was a number one overall pick for a reason. Now he doesn't have the same upside that other number one overall picks had. He's nowhere near as mobile, and he doesn't have the same arm strength, but overall I could actually see a pretty solid season from Goff, and if he doesn't, and if Detroit and him decide to part ways, honestly, I could see him being a starter somewhere. Um, at number 21, I have Jalen Hurts. Um, I guess you could say I'm a little bit more of a believer in Hurts than some. But he's an excellent leader in the locker room. And the Philadelphia Eagles really upgraded his supporting cast. They got... They got A.J. Brown via trade from the Tennessee Titans. Devontae Smith is... Prime for a better year. Quez Watkins could probably be a wide receiver three. Miles Sanders, really good running back and an elite offensive line. I mean, and also I forgot to mention, I just remember right now, they have one of the NFL's better tight ends at Dallas Goddard and a pretty solid coach in Nick Sirianni. So there's a lot of uh, um, a lot of chances for Jalen Hurts to be a good quarterback. Now, will I think he'd be great? No, he's not going to be a great quarterback. But I could see him being a good quarterback, especially with this supporting cast. And he can extend plays with his legs. And I think overall, Jalen Hurts actually could be in for a really big year. At number 20, we have Mac Jones of the New England Patriots. Uh, Mac Jones had the most successful rookie season out of all the rookie quarterbacks. But, however, I do feel his ceiling is somewhat limited, at least in comparison to the other quarterbacks. Um, now, I do think he will be a bit better from last year, but I think the team as a whole won't. Um, offensive line had some loss. Well, mainly Shaq Mason is really the only loss. Well, even then, they replaced it with Cole Strait. I just, like, I don't know if Mac Jones, like I said, how would I put this? Like, I just feel like he's like lacks the like it factor. Like, he's not the most mobile. I feel he's sort of he reminds me a lot of Chad Pennington, which is solid. If you have Chad Pennington as your quarterback, you're 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 pretty set. I don't know if you're gonna win Super Bowls with Chad Pennington at quarterback, but I mean, I guess if you have a really good team, like an elite team, you can win with any quarterback. The two thousand Ravens. And if you even really want to go more recently, the 2015 Denver Broncos, and also included in there are teams like the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
So it's possible. I just feel like you need to have a lot around him to su like succeed more. And again, obviously, I do think. And I also forgot to mention, actually, my bad. They also have a really nice tight end group in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. And obviously, Bill Belichick is the greatest head coach of all time. But oh, I don't really know where to put my tongue. Like I don't even know what word to put. Like, like I think Mac Jones will have another like season, like solid season, like he did, like last year, maybe a bit better. But I don't think he gets a whole better than what he currently is. I could be wrong. Obviously, I'm not rooting for these guys to fail or anything. Obviously, I hope the best goes for all these guys. Um, on to number 19, we have the, one of the most hyped prospects ever, and that was Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence had a very ugly rookie year. It was very ugly. Um, obviously the team was awful, and they had the worst head coach in NFL history in Urban Meyer. And yes, the worst head coach in NFL history. There's no doubt about it. I don't even know how you can make the argument at this point. I don't even think you could say Bobby Petrino, who... Before Urban Meyer was seen as the worst NFL head coach of all time by many. But Trevor Lawrence is entering a better situation. I like the Doug Peterson hire. And his weapons did improve. They're not great. They're not great, but they're not horrible. Especially the running back group is really good. Travis Etienne could be a very good running back. And James Robinson is well above starting. So... Yeah, I definitely think that. And also the receiver group got way better. Um, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, um, LaVisca Chenault, I think, can be solid. They do really have no one at tight end, though. Um, offensive line isn't nearly as bad, especially with Brandon Scherf, albeit he has major health concerns. So, But overall, I think Trevor Lawrence will be much better than he was last year. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be elite end quarterback. Probably not, but I do think he can. He will be significantly better than he was last year. At number eighteen, we actually have the quarterback selected after Lawrence, and that is Zach Wilson. Um, I like what the Jets are doing with Zach Wilson. They brought in Brees Hall, um, Chris Olave, and well, maybe Max Mitchell. He probably won't start, so I won't mention him. But. Sorry, something flickered in the background. Um, and, and that's already add on to a pretty decent unit. You have Elijah Moore, Corey Davis at the receiver spot, Michael Carter at the running back spot. And they also brought in two capable starting tight ends, CJ Uzama and Tyler Conklin. So, and overall with uh, Mike LaFleur, who is brother of Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur, calling the plays and improved play calling over the season... This Jets offense could surprise some people this year. Um, I'd say the only reason he isn't higher is simply because, first of all, it's only his second year. He's still going to be prone to a lot of mistakes. And overall, the competition for quarterback is also very high, especially this year where there's a lot of guys in a very similar category that I do have ahead of Wilson. But overall, I really like what Zach Wilson's situation is, and I think he's going to improve a lot from also internal improvement by himself and the situation around them. 
At number 17, we have another second overall pick, Carson Wentz from the Washington Commanders. Um, things sort of flamed out at the end at Indianapolis, though I think it wasn't always really all his fault. I really think it was the team's fault that they got blown out by Jacksonville. I feel like he kind of really got the blame for that when really a lot of blame should have been on pretty much the rest of the entire roster. But nonetheless, he enters... A not as good situation in the Commanders. Now, I do think Carson Wentz is still a starting caliber player. And the receiver group actually isn't bad. You have Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel, albeit put a question mark to Curtis Samuel because he's almost never healthy nowadays. The offensive line isn't horrible. It's average. And they have a capable running back in Antonio Gibson, However, the defense regressed significantly this year, and it definitely needs to get back to the 2020 self than last year's team, or last year's unit, I should say. And overall, I think he'll be similar to what he does last year, but I don't know if Carson Wentz is, like, a quarterback that, like, at least now, like, can elevate your team to that next level, and that's why I have him in this middle ground. Number 16, uh, this is a... Bit of a bit large projection is Trey Lance of the 49ers. Um, supporting cast is not an issue here. They have Brandon Ayu, Debo Samuel, probably, and tight end George Kittle, who's a top two tight end in the league. A pretty solid offensive line. And um, Elijah Mitchell, who had a really nice rookie season. And obviously, the defense is an even better unit. With guys like Ark Armstead, Fred Warner, um, Emmanuel Mosley, Chavarius Ward, Jimmy Ward. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting someone obvious here. Probably not. So I think overall, and they have one of the best offensive-minded coaches in football, one of the best coaches in football, period, in Kyle Shanahan. So, I think Trey Lance is in a comfortable situation. I do think it will take him a little bit to get going, though. Like, I don't think he's going to be throwing, like, three touchdowns a game or even two touchdowns a game, like, instantly away. I do think he definitely needs to get comfortable in the system. And I think the Niners will rely a lot on the run game while Trey Lance develops his passing abilities. We enter the top 15, and at 15, I have Ryan Tannehill of the Tennessee Titans, and Ryan Tannehill is at a very successful stint in Tennessee. They've made it to the playoffs every year they've been there. They went 9-7 and se- won nine and seven his first year. They made it to the AFC Championship game. They went 11-5 the next year, and then they went 12-5 this year. Um, however, it seems that Tannehill has really crumbled apart when it comes to the playoffs. And now, I don't know if Malik Willis is going to come right away and steal his job. No. Malik Willis is a major project that needs one, probably maybe even two years um, to develop. But I still think Ryan Tannehill is an above-average quarterback. He's led the Titans to their best era of success they've had since the early 2000s. So that cannot be understated. Because before Ryan Tannehill came over, the Titans were an absolute mess at the quarterback position. They had, like... Jake Locker, um, Zach Menberger, um, Marcus Mariota, just a bunch of average to horrible quarterbacks. Like, it, it was a mess. And Ryan Tannehill has really stabilized that position the Titans have lacked since the Steve McNair era.
Um, and now his supporting cast did get worse as Traylon Burks is going to be asked to do a lot. Um, they did bring in Robert Woods, though, and he's a solid wide receiver. He's, a, he's just a guy that likes to do all the little things that no one else really wants to do. So I think that will help in that department. But the third um, receiver is, like, Nick Westbrook. That's probably maybe the worst third wide receiver in the league. But, hey, you never know. Maybe he breaks out under Tannehill. Um, they have one of the best coaches in the NFL, Mike Vrabel. But, obviously, the Titans, they're a run team, and they're going to rely heavily on Derrick Henry, especially for this season. While Ryan Tannehill definitely tries to get back more from it to his 2019-2020 self, because 2021 was definitely a bit of a down year for him. Um, 14, we have um, Matt Ryan from the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I do think Matt Ryan will do better than what Wentz did. And he definitely has a way better supporting cast in his final few years with the Atlanta Falcons. Jonathan Taylor is arguably the best running back in football. They have an elite offensive line anchored by Quentin Nelson, um, Braden Smith, and... <clears throat> Sorry, my nose is acting up a little bit. Yeah, mainly Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson... Why am I? Frick! I know there's a again. I know his last Ryan Kelly. There we go. Jesus Christ! My memory is being a little bleary. And overall, I do think the receiver position does hurt a little bit. They did. Um, Michael Pittman Jr. could be really good next year. I like the addition of Alec Pierce in the second round. Um, Paris Campbell may finally do something if he's ever healthy. And Mo Alley-Cox is probably going to have to step up at tight end. And Frank Reich is more revered as one of the more respected coaches and one of the better overall NFL coaches. So I think Matt Ryan will have a really solid year. Not obviously to like what he had in 2016, his MVP year, or even years prior. But I think he will have a really nice year with the Colts. At number 13, we have Kyler Murray. Um, This is weird. It, this might be a bit too low for Murray, but the team, the Cardinals, have always gone off um, the past two years to strong starts, but they've got off to really bad second halves of the season. They started out 5-2 and two in 2018, and they missed the playoffs going 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, Last year was better. They started out 7-0, and oh, but stumbled all the way to 11-6 and six, and were absolutely demolished in the first round by the Rams, the eventual Super Bowl champion Rams, and divisional rival, and they just look completely unprepared. Kyler Murray had one of the worst games in his NFL career, and then there was obviously that bit of a contract holdout. There was rumors he wanted to leave Arizona, that the Cardinals remained cheap, and it, it, it was very ugly. Now, I think that's settled over now, but, like, Kyler Murray, is he... He's franchise material, but he, if the Cardinals want to go further, um, he needs to go from, like, star to, like, close to superstar level, which we'll see if he can do. Um, DeAndre Hopkins will be out for the first six games, which does stink. They do bring back James Conner, who had a really good year for them, had, like, 20 rushing touchdowns, which is insane. They got Marquise Brown via trade, 
And A.J. Green could do be a little better in a wide receiver three role. Um, and the offensive line is passable. Um, the defense, though, definitely took a major hit with losses with the loss of Chandler Jones, who was a key, a core piece to those defenses. And we'll see. I have to see him like take that major, major, major step up before I elevate him into the top ten. Um, at number twelve, we have Derek Carr, who really had a heck of an off season. They got Devontae Adams from the Green Bay Packers. And that's already added on to a pretty solid supporting cast. Hunter Renfro had 1,000 yards last year. Darren Waller will hopefully stay healthy. And Josh Jacobs is a starting caliber running back. And they do have a pretty decent offensive line as well. And they brought in Josh McDaniels, who has been, you know, the Patriots' offensive coordinator for seemingly an eternity. So, I do think he will be... Well, have a really good year this year. Um, it definitely does hurt him that he's in the AFC West, and he actually, <laughs> believe it or not, he's the worst quarterback in the AFC West. But that's not a bad thing. Derek Carr is definitely, in my opinion, still a franchise-caliber quarterback, and I still think he can lead you the distance. I still think he can get you very far in the playoffs, especially if he has an elite roster, possibly Super Bowl. But I don't know. I feel the defense somewhat holds this team back overall. And and again, with the competition at the top, especially in the AFC, I do think that definitely lowers him down a little bit. Um, Number 11, we have Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the weapons aren't lacking in Dallas, even after the loss of Amari Cooper. You still have C.D. Lamb. You still have Michael Gallup. They brought in Jalen Tolbert in the third round. I really like him a lot as well and um the offensive line is still really good with Tyron Smith and Zach Martin and and I think Tyler Biotish can be pretty good at the center position and you also have one of the NFL's emerging young tight ends in Dalton Schultz and an improved defense however Dak Prescott does seem to falter in the playoffs as let's see he only has one playoff win in what will be what is what is like six season at quarterback so I definitely think an improvement in the playoffs could elevate Dak Prescott in the top 10 he's very close to top 10 I mean he's a very good quarterback obviously I'd rather have him over the other 21 quarterbacks I've just mentioned so but I think overall he really needs to extend like his level of play from the regular season into the playoffs to climb any higher at number 10, we have uh, Kirk Cutton. Now, this may be a bit of a, pro- a surprise to some, and maybe you're saying, Tyler, what the hell? You have Kirk Cutton's too high, he's getting paid a lot, and he doesn't have the most playoff success to show for it. But hear me out. Kirk Cousins um, has improved significantly in Minnesota than when he was in Washington. He was solid in Washington, but he's been really good in Minnesota. He's put up career highs and passing touchdowns, passing yards, and he has an elite skill position group. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook. I'd even include Alexander Madison in there. And we'll see if Irv Smith can emerge as um, one of the uh, more you know, NFL is at least starting caliber tight ends. And 
Um, and they have an offensive-minded head coach in Kevin O'Connell, who I think can also elevate Kirk's game. Now, again, he does have the same issue with Dak that um, he definitely does falter some during the playoffs. But, I mean, it's tough. You could, If you wanted to put Kirk Cousins 11 and Dak 10, I understand it. But I think Kirk Cousins is a little bit better at closing out games. Like, I trust him more leading, like, a two-minute drill down down the field for a touchdown than I do Dak. At number nine, I have Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. A down year for Jackson, but even then, a down year before he went down, the Ravens were 6-2, and two and they were rolling. They were the top seed in the AFC. After that, they completely tumbled and finished with an 8-9 mark, which was last in the AFC North. And... I do think that the Ravens will be significantly improved under Lamar Jackson's watch, have one of the best coaches in the NFL in Jim Harbaugh. I am still somewhat concerned for the lack of weapons. I do think Rashad Bateman will have a good year, and Mark Andrews is an elite NFL tight end, and they still have a great offensive line, especially when you add Tyler Linderbaum into the fray. And they will actually have a healthy running back group and overall healthy team. As this was the most injured team last year, it was absolutely ridiculous. I can name like 10 players they had hurt that were significantly important to their success. Now they have J.K. Dobbins, Justice Hill. They'll have those guys back. And then overall, Lamar Jackson will have another really good year. Maybe not, obviously, like what he had in his MVP year, but I still think he can definitely throw for 28 to 35 touchdowns this year. At number eight, we have Super Bowl champion Matthew Stafford of the Rams. Now, I don't think he really gets any better than what he currently is right now, but still, Matthew Stafford is a damn good quarterback, and he even showed his worth in the playoffs as he had a great playoff run and help the Rams win their first Super Bowl since 1999. And overall, they have one of the best offensive minds in the NFL in Sean McVay, and still a really good supporting cast. They brought in Allen Robinson. Um, Cooper Cup has emerged into an elite NFL wide receiver. Tyler Higby's a pretty decent tight end, a, re- a reliable offensive line. And a solid run game. Remember, they were missing Cam Akers for pretty much almost the entire season. Now he's back, and he's a very promising running back. Also, he should be, um, when I mentioned fantasy guys, he could be definitely a sleeper. But that's not what we're talking about. And also, they're anchored by a great defense and the best defensive player, arguably best player in the NFL in Aaron Donald. And by arguably the best cornerback in the NFL in Jalen Ramsey. And also... Um, Leonard Floyd, who has emerged as an excellent pass rusher in the Rams system under Raheem Morris. Um, so, yeah, I think Matthew Stafford will be very similar than he was last year. And, hey, maybe he can make the Rams go on another deep playoff run with the Rams. Um, at number seven, we have Justin Herbert, who has showed, who has showed remarkable skill and remarkable upside through his first two NFL seasons. And he has an excellent supporting cast to be even better this year. They brought um, they brought in um, Boston College offensive lineman Zion Johnson. They already had Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, and 
And overall, that's a very nice group of skill position players. And the defense will be much improved last year, especially with a defensive-minded coach like Brandon Staley. They brought in Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, Sebastian Joseph Day, and Austin Johnson. So I think overall, Herbert, especially with his arm talent, his mobility, and improved accuracy, I think he definitely has a shot to win MVP. We're getting into the quarterbacks where I think they can win MVP. I guess you could say Safford can win the MVP, but I think a legitimate real chance to win MVP. At number six, we have Joe Burrow of the Bengals. Obviously, they went all the way to the Super Bowl despite a pathetic offensive line. But the rest of this team is still really good, and the offensive line improved as well. They brought in Alex Kappa. Um, why am I forgetting the other guy? They s- Damn it. <laughs> I'm forgetting all the other guys they signed. I know Alex Capo was the biggest one of them all. Um, um, let me get our full roster up here. But why am I forgetting? Like, why am I... Like, I know it was Alex Capo. Here, I brought up the, the, the list. <laughs> Very sorry about this, guys. Uh, oh, Ted Karras, that's who I was thinking of, who's a pretty solid, startable center. Uh, oh, and they, they drafted... No, they were the one that got Leo Call. Why was I thinking he went to the Dolphins? What the hell? Jesus Christ, I am not having the best day. <laughs> but it's way better. Oh, and also Jonah Williams, who I think will improve and become one of the NFL's better tackles. Um, and the skill positions are absolutely fantastic. Um... I mean, you have Jamar Chase, who has Offensive Player of the Year potential. T. Higgins, who I really like. Tyler Boyd, who I really like. Joe Mixon, one of the NFL's better starting running backs. And the defense is anchored by Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, Jesse Bates, Logan Wilson. And they even brought in a second-round quarterback in the NFL draft in Cam Taylor-Britt, who should contribute some. So, uh, um, also Sam Hubbard is also a solid pass rusher as well, and they got Zachary Carter as well in the draft. So, I think overall this is a very well-rounded team, and I do think Joe Burrow could even have a better year than he did last year. Especially with this supporting cast. This is arguably the best skill group in the entire NFL. And Zach Taylor has definitely made improvements as head coach as well. Now we move into our top five. And I have Russell Wilson of the Denver Broncos. Now some people are saying, oh, well, Russell Wilson's coming off the worst season of his career. How can he be number five? Well, I'll tell you why. They brought in an offensive-minded coach in Nathaniel Hackett, who worked very well with Aaron Rodgers and should work very well with Russell Wilson. And also, he has a really good skill position group in Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and you could even throw in K.J. Hamler. Also, to go along with the ground game of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. So, and the offensive line is passable. I'm not going to say it's great, but it's definitely to a way better than what he had in Seattle. And they also still have a very good defense, which probably has looked worse than it is just because of the incompetent quarterback play 
that has really hurt the Broncos' chances of being a playoff team over the past, like, five seasons. So, I think overall, Russell Wilson's going to have a bounce back here in Denver. He has a way better supporting cast, way better everything than he did in his final few years in Seattle. And I think Russell Wilson literally jumped, has a big bounce back year and jumps back into the MVP candidate conversation. At number four, I have Tom Brady of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And do I really need to say anything about Tom Brady? He led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. Now, he did retire, uh, like, for what, like 40 days, and he unretired. And, I, I mean, do I really have to say anything else about Tom Brady? Like, they bring back Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a really good offensive line, anchored by Tristan Wirfs. And Donovan Smith. Um, now, there will be Todd Bowles as head coach, so we'll see how he does. He didn't have a very good stint with the Jets. So, that, so but offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich is considered one of the NFL's better play callers. And I do think that he'll do a very good job with Tom Brady once again. I mean, it's almost impossible to fail with Tom Brady. At number three, we have Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. Had a tremendous season last year. Has an elite coach in Sean McDermott. An elite defense anchored by Tredavious White, Tremaine Edmonds, Mike Hyde, Jordan Poyer. And some could-be quality pass rushers in Carlos Basham and Gregory Russo. They also improved the ground game by getting James Cook in the NFL draft in the second round. Dawson Knox showed some flashes of being a solid tight end. And obviously, you have the weapons at receivers. Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. So, overall, this is an extremely well-rounded roster. And I think Josh Allen obviously will succeed because of it, but also improve based on internal improvement. At number two, I have Patrick Mahomes. And again, there's not much really to say about Patrick Mahomes. He's won a Super Bowl. Has been among the AFC's, well, really the NFL's elite quarterbacks over the past three seasons. And now they do lose Tyree Kill, which definitely is a bummer. Um, and Sky Moore will definitely take some time to try and replace Tyree Kill's production. Tyree Kill is a very special player. But you still have Travis Kelsey. They brought in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And they still have one of the NFL's all-time great coaches and all-time great play callers in Andy Reid. So I don't think this offense really slows down much, if at all. And I don't think Patrick Mahomes slows down much, if at all. That's why I have him number two on this power rankings. But at number one... We have the back-to-back MVP, Aaron Rodgers. Now, is he going to win MVP again? Probably no. But overall, Aaron Rodgers has been the best quarterback in the NFL the past two seasons. Obviously, by his two MVPs. And has overall, even without Devontae Adams and a new set of receivers, he's definitely going to have to distribute the ball a lot more. But he can still rely on the run game of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. 
and has a great offensive line centered on David Bakhtiari, Josh Myers, Elton Jenkins when he eventually gets back. And improving guys like Josh Nijman, John Runyon, and Royce Newman. And potentially Sean Ryan and Zach Tom if they play. And Robert Tanyan is a reliable red zone threat. But, and under one of the best offensive minds in the game and Matt LaFleur, I don't see Aaron Rodgers really stopping this season, even as he will enter what is age 39 season just about. And he actually has one of the most reliable defenses he's had in his career. They brought in Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt on the defensive end, and they already... And with that, you already have guys on the team last year like Devondre Campbell, Rasul Douglas, Preston Smith, Sean Gary, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander, who will come back, Eric Stokes, who will look to improve on a really promising rookie year. And, and um, yeah, so a lot of pieces are in place for Aaron Rodgers to have, again, another MVP-like year. I don't think he'll win it because I think a lot of people will definitely want to give the award to someone else. Unless Aaron Rodgers is, like, so much better than everyone else, has, like, 10 more touchdowns, has, like, 700 more passing yards, and a great completion percentage. But I think due to him having the last two MVPs and overall being and also never turns over the ball, still somewhat a little mobile, and with all the contributing factors around him, I believe Aaron Rodgers will be the best quarterback in the NFL next year. Or this year, my bad. <laughs> but anyways, guys, um, that is it for this list. I hope you had a great time. I, um, I know I had a great time. And that is all for tonight. I'm out. Peace.